Hello and welcome to the Breakdown Podcast. I am Jamie Finch-Penninger, your host, and I am glad to be introducing a new series to the Breakdown. It's going to be an interview series and we are proud to be kicking it off with an interview with Andrew Christie Johnson, Head Director Sportif of the Ice Away Sports Swiss Wellness brand. And he's an interesting guy to interview because he's been a developer of talent such as Richie Port, Nathan Haas, who you guys might be familiar with on the World Tour. And we spoke to him recently after his Grafton to Inverell victory with Neil Vanderplug. Of course, the Breakdown podcast is sponsored by Ore Cycling Apparel. You can find them at ore.com.au. That is double They produce ecologically sustainable cycling apparel which is both odor reducing stylish and very comfortable uh, cycling kit so make sure you go check them out that is or.com.au double g'day and welcome to this impromptu interview I've set up with Andrew Christie Johnson after the Grafton to Inverell for 2017 and um, Andrew it was a win for your boys today after all your career you know winning lots of races um, how do you how do you feel after each event where you do manage to take away that win uh, look we, we, we certainly have won a lot so I suppose the it's always hard to judge one win over another, but uh, if you could see footage in the car of me and Neil when uh, we heard that Vandy had won, then it was, uh, I'd say it was pretty well the same reaction. We were pretty excited, and uh, you never know you know, who's going to win, and it was very close, so that made an exciting race, and I think Neil you know, hasn't had a win for, of this level for, for a long time, so it was uh, very rewarding to see him do that. A lot of the guys on your team speak about how much you care about their careers and um that's that's very evident when you speak about somebody like um like neil because you you have a small smile on your face as you as you said that he took the win after a little while of not having one um does that you know add to the add to the joy and add to you know the experience of being of running a team like this yeah for sure but look our team becomes very much a family and you always want to see and do the right thing by your riders and uh, ultimately, if they uh, enjoy that same success, you can see that you know, we, we have many winners in the team. It's not just one guy winning over and over again, and, and, and I think that's why we are successful. So, yeah, look, uh, Neil, I think, really needed this win, and, and hopefully it's a, you know, a really uh, stepping stone before he heads across uh, to Europe to you know, just remind him that uh, he's a talented bike rider and he, can get, he certainly can produce a lot more wins than he has been of late. You've been sending riders across to Europe uh, literally uh, now for a few years, but um, also um, metaphorically and in terms of advancing their careers. Um, uh, I think it's, what, 11 guys you've sent to the World Tour now, straight from Avani? Look, I, I, I think it's 10, <laughs> but I haven't actually added it up. Some people tell me 10, some 11, but I've never actually checked that, uh, yeah, look, it's been uh, very successful and, uh, you know, I think that the the early days it was very tough. Um, it was tough back then just to get uh, rides in in Europe, let alone from a small team like ours. And it, I'd say it's become a, a little easier because you you do have the contacts, uh, but it is certainly not easy. And uh, it's a lot of hard work you know, behind the scenes from the team. But but ultimately it's the riders themselves that have to uh, have the drive and. Uh, you know, to really want to take that next step. So, yeah, it's been a, 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 a successful, what is it, 17 years now. 
Yeah, look, looking back at that um, at that start um, when you when you're just he- heading out and um, starting in this game, um, I don't know. It, do you, did you envision something like this, or were you hoping bigger? Were you hoping you know you're thinking maybe just a few years? What was the what was the process at the start? Well, to be honest, I can't really remember. It's uh, it's so long ago. So I'd suggest there was probably no real plan. It was just more a passion, a bunch of mates, and and we thought that um, you know joint costs and sharing of costs would uh, allow us to really have a crack at what we enjoy. And and then we found that uh, that we we had some talented bike riders, and and you get to know these people, and they and said they become family, and and then you really want to see them achieve and. Uh, and that's uh, you know really where we started with no plan, and the, the plans have grown. And I think what we've uh, decided that uh, that we are a continental team. But uh, despite of uh, you know what sort of status we have in the world scene, it's it is more about uh, allowing riders. Uh, you know, it has been predominantly from Australia, but certainly New Zealand as well, and give those guys an opportunity and a stepping stone to the world tour. You you briefly mentioned that status, but it's been a, a hard one status in a lot of ways you've had to you know fight for every bit of respect that you've got over the years um what what was that process like i mean when, and when do you feel that you finally you know maybe you're getting the plaudits not you don't you don't like getting praise um i've <laughs> i've said this about you before and you, you shy away from it um but when do you start feeling that you know your riders are getting the respect that is a Oh, look, I think that um, you, you sort of you can't sort of ever expect to, to have uh, respect out there. You sort of have to you know, maybe nearly demand it. Like, uh, and the way you do that is that um, you, you run a good show. You try and get results. You try and see that you're there for the rider. And when you do get riders to make it, I think you get a general bit of respect. And the more we get a lot of applications every year, people wanting to to join the team. And I think with that, you know, it probably shows there is a bit of respect out there. When we race these highest team, that so the World Tour teams, um, we respect them, but we uh, we're there to beat them. And uh, and I think at the end of the day, it's really important for our riders to understand that they're just guys on a bike. Uh, that, you know, they they may be more talented or maybe more just developed in there, but you got a dream. And uh, and ultimately, if they want to be like that, like those riders at the World Tour, they. You know, start early and uh, and really feel that you can be competitive against those guys. That that certainly is a dream of most riders in Australia. It seems to take that step to the world tour. And a part of your recruiting cachet is the fact that you have developed so many riders for the world tour over your over your career. Um, how much how much do you know when you see a rider early on that they've got that potential to go? And how much of it do you nurture and then develop from there? Look, it's it's really hard to tell. With some guys, it is a little bit more obvious because you can see the sheer talent. But until you spend time with a bike rider, it's hard to know what his real work ethic is. Uh, cycling isn't just about talent; it's about passion. It's about um, you know how much ethic you can have. And when you see a rider have some bad luck, and it's the way they respond to all that, so you sort of uh, learn as you go. Uh, with some guys, as I said, you can see the talent, but it certainly doesn't mean that they're going to uh, make it to World Tour. Uh, so it's never an easy exercise. You just feel and you can see something in the early stage and, then, and there may be talent that you see or maybe you just see their work ethic and you hope you can develop them, uh, develop that talent. So there's no real uh, you know, secret to it. Uh, I mean, the, there's certain aspects that we do look at, but 
you know, they're probably ones that I want to keep to myself. Um, <laughs> that's probably what makes it special. Everyone has their own point of view. I certainly don't just look in cycling. I just look at uh, the individual and the athlete and if they'd like to have a crack at cycling, whether they've come from a rowing background with someone like Sean Lake or a triathlon background like Richie Port and, you know, like you've got to see something special in that. But, but that special can be very different from one athlete to another. You did uh, mention a few specifics there in, you know, Richie Port, um, Nathan Haas, obviously a big one as well. I thought maybe just take a take an example, um, say Nathan Haas, because he's been an interesting one this year and he's really stepped up um, in the World Tour and started delivering, you know, real uh, top top end results. Um, was that, I mean, do you see the qualities that he exhibited um, when he was racing for you? Um, God, was that Genesis Wealth Advisors back then? Or anyway, um, do you see those same qualities in him as a rider? Ah, most definitely. I always thought that when Hassie was riding on this team that uh, I thought he would be a, a punchy Ardennes classic type of guy. And uh, to be honest, I thought that he would get there a little bit quicker than what he was. And I could see that in his early days, and he won't mind uh, me saying this, that I thought he was a bit lazy and maybe not uh, fully committed as a cyclist. And, and I think he, he, he saw that in with himself. And once he decided that he really wanted to do that and, and uh, commit, you can see how quickly his talent has come along. But in his early days with maybe Canada, maybe he sort of, you know, enjoyed his time there and, and sort of maybe uh, maybe stopped really believing he could take that next step and, and be um, a winner. Uh, on this level man but the last few years I've noticed that he's got that passion and fire about uh, really you know wanting to not just be another number in that field he, he wants to win races and and now we're actually starting to see that the rider I thought he would be um, because he was always from his mountain bike days a very punchy climber and uh, and if I could model him back then I would have thought that this is the type of race that he would be good at and, and I'm, I'm sort of pretty proud that he's uh you know, really, uh, really sort of developed, and I think these next couple of years for for Hassie will be uh, some of his best to come. You speak of pride there briefly at the end, and um, I'm just wondering what what achievement in in the sport to date um, really um, stands out to you as something that you are proud of. Oh, look, there's so many. I mean, I'm proud of every one of my riders. Um, you know, even at the at, at the level we're at, but. Uh, each of the ones that have uh, shown the determination to, to make it to world, le- um, world tour level, that, that's just huge. Um, look, if you were to result base, um, and probably my first and probably one of my closest because he's a Tassie guy, is Richie Port. Like, I'm, I'm pretty proud of what he's done and um, he's, he's had the hardest battle. You know, like We're a small team with uh, not a lot of sponsorship and... Uh, just learning the ropes and it was a, a hard place to, to, to make it into Europe and, and he did it the hardest and I think that um, I could recognise that, that his work ethic and even though it been such a hard task to make it that someone like him could make it and to see him now at the very highest uh, um, you know level and competing for events like the Tour de France that's uh, yeah, like I probably can't be more prouder of, of him, uh, but as I said, each of them in their own right have, uh, have been uh, fantastic riders to deal with. And you still get a kick out of watching him at the Tour or the uh, Tour of Romandy most recently. Um, what's, what's that feeling like? Oh, it's just awesome. Like um, I've always, every single one of the riders, uh, I watch every race that I can of them, uh, but with Richie... Uh, you know, winning a race like Romady, it sort of makes me pretty excited to, to see what he can just do at this year's Tour de France. He was pretty unlucky last year and 
Um, and last year was the very first time that I got to, to go to France and, and watch a few days there and it was fantastic to see that and you know I'm actually going back to spend a bit of time and, and catch up with him again this year so I'm sure he's pretty excited but he won't be as excited as well I am to be there. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few few points I wanted to pick up on there. Um, what immediately sprung to mind when you talked about your relationship with Richie was um, also your relationship with Chris Froome as well um, and there's a sort of mutual respect there that I think we saw probably, um, unfortunately, when uh, there was a bit of a confrontation between uh, Pat Shaw and uh, Peter Kenyuk during the 2016 Herald Sun Tour. And it, it was it was noticeable that after the stage, you both came together and talked and, you know, um, smoothed the waters over a little bit after that. Um, but there's clearly that mutual respect there and that's built up over um, over your dealings with Chris. Yeah, look, I, I don't know Chris that well. I think that um, I've had a, a, I suppose he would know a little bit about us uh, via uh, Richie, but with his time that he came out to Tasmania, I, I got to meet to Chris and spend uh, quite a few days with, there with him. And I think that uh, that wasn't far um, before uh, we we met at the Tour de France. So it was good to sorry the Tour de France at the Herald Sun Tour. So it was great to see him there and. Uh, he recognised at the end of that stage there was something going on. I wasn't quite sure at the at the time what it was, and neither was he. Um, uh, neither was he. And I think that the fact that he he felt they could come across and have a chat about it was was great. And uh, and I, I think that we just had a bit of a laugh at it and realised it was two hot heads. Uh, I've got one in the team back then, and uh, and so did he. And uh, we sort of just laughed it off and shook hands and said like it's there's no problem there it's sort of been built up a bit more than what it actually was at the time i think and the other point i wanted to raise from your tour de france things um was it an eye-opening experience going over there and seeing the teams with their you know team sky with their massive bus and their 35 million pound budget or whatever it is um and you're scrapping away here with um, dollars saved here and there uh, look at from that that aspect. You look, you see enough on TV. You, you get the interviews. You get the everything. You you sort of expect it. And you, so I, I wasn't. Uh, look, I'm impressed and jealous of it. There's no doubt. But uh, ultimately, that's not why I was there. I was there to to see a, a close friend of mine. And uh, you know, when I first, you know, as I could see myself walking up to him and uh, and him just having that little smile. It was just that sort of mutual thing. Like it's about time you got here and saw me and. Uh, uh, I think that was just that that proud moment. Forget about where we actually were. It was just something special to be at the Tour de France and uh, seeing a mate who's uh, competing for the overall win. So uh, the rest, it was just cycling. Occasionally, I do have a friend or two, and when you see them take a result, it is a bit more special, isn't it? Um, does does that extend to your team at all? I mean, do you make friends within within your own team, or do you have to be the boss as well? Or? Oh, look, I think that you, you have to be the boss and um, you, you've got to keep everyone in line. But ultimately, um, yeah, you, you make friends. Uh, look, if you can't be friend with every single one of your um, your riders, the, 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 there's a problem there. Like you've got to, you, you select them as uh, not just riders, but you select them with guys that you think that you can deal with. And sometimes you might learn the, um, that you're wrong, but uh, ultimately hope you've made the right decisions. But yeah, I'd say like there's a different level with friendship, obviously, uh, from one rider to another and that often is like with me and Richie it was more that you know he lived in Tasmania so we were close 
um, some of my other guys are, are it's a lot harder to, to build relationships sometimes they're over the phone and then you just see them in a race environment but look they have to understand that that I get pretty grumpy and uh, upset like them they're I'm passionate they're passionate and I think we have that mu- mutual respect that once we've, we've had it out we, we move on but I think we'll always remain friends I've got plenty of friends that that never made it uh, and uh, some of my closest friends but they were still in this team and they still follow this team and uh, when we catch up at times at races it, we enjoy uh, we enjoy that time together there's a I mean there's a few riders that never made it as you as you put it I was just wondering if you could necessarily identify why in some of those situations because a guy like I don't know Joe Cooper for instance is um, a guy who's maybe came on a bit too late in his career or somebody like Neil Vanderpool probably in a similar basket as well do you see those guys and um, wonder what if or are you not that sort of mindset yeah most definitely I always wish that I could wind back the clock and maybe you've got some of these guys a little bit earlier um, because they I can see that they're good enough to compete at that level um, they might not necessarily compete with the very best but I still th- think they are good enough uh, to make up um, some of those spots in the world tour uh, some did come too late some maybe uh, got very close uh, some years are difficult you can have a great year yourself but if there's uh, if the sport's going through tough times, if there's teams folding, if uh, there's a lot of contracts available, sometimes it's you're just out of luck, and, and some of those individuals have been. But um, you know, and I feel sad about that. But there's nothing really we can do about it. So we just enjoy the time that we can, and and as long as they you know enjoy their cycling, and I don't think it's ever too late to be honest. Uh, you're not signing 10-year contracts with these guys. If a guy has a cracker of a year, um, someone might just take a risk at him for a year, and it's not like they're at retirement age. Uh, they mightn't necessarily get themselves into a wall tour team, but I'd like to still see some of them get into a, a decent pro, quanti, pro Conti squad, get a paid a wage and uh, enjoy the rest of their career and just see, you know, they, maybe they, they flourish and, and do get that opportunity. So I never think it's over. Whatever reason they're on our team for, there is a reason and each of those riders know that reason and, and the fact is they still enjoy their cycling and that's why we're here. So what do you see as your role in this? Because a lot of those guys who we've been talking about, Richie Port comes from triathlon late, Sean Lake comes from rowing late. These are people who have been you know, missed by like the junior system and World Tour Academy um, ranks. Is, is that a role that you see yourself fulfilling as you know, finding those d- diamonds in the rough, maybe not the right term, or undiscovered talents um, in, in the sport? Is that something you see yourself as being important in doing? Yeah, look, I think that uh, there's there's a lot of teams out there and uh, and uh, there's a lot of riders and the national teams can only look after so many riders and they have some strict rules about what age that they uh, can support them to and I, I don't think that you can define uh, an age exactly when someone will, will hit their straps and uh, and show their very best with the, something like the World Tour Academy um, at the, uh, the last few years. I mean, they've had some great success but ultimately, that if you don't make it by the age of 23, then uh, you know they they have to move on. They have to find another team. And and for me, it's like that's some of the exciting times. Some don't develop to 24, 25, and later. And uh, yeah, so I think that it's just the the nature that there is only one system that can only support so few. And we've got so much talent in Australia. So, and I can see that. I mean, my team doesn't come from riders that I've just found. They come from other teams as well, and they've discovered that talent. And I've seen what they've seen. And sometimes that they've they've seen it earlier than me, 
But again, I can only sign so many riders in, in one year, which means that, that some of these other teams will have some, some great talent. And I think it's not just us. It's uh, all the teams do a, a fantastic job of, of developing these riders, and it's getting stronger and stronger. And I think you could see that even in the race uh, today, that it was, uh, there were still so many guys in the race uh, towards the end. Yeah, you said you mentioned you could only sign so many riders. Um, I know, I know, this is a NRS only um, issue to a lot of people, but a lot of people see you as the behemoth of Australian cycling in a lot of ways. Your, your team, you know, for instance, you just signed Michael um, Freiberg, um, and adding to your squad is now up to what eighteen or nineteen, nineteen riders. So, I mean, that's that's all. That's more than double most squads. Um, what 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 do you, what do you see? Do you find yourself accumulating talent by um, just people wanting to be on your team or is it um, something you do for competition between the riders? Uh, look, yeah, we need um, large levels of riders because we, like last year when we compete in Europe, there are eight-man squads and we run dual systems. So, and last year we actually ran triple at times. So eight riders um, in Belgium at time, uh, seven in, in Australia, that's 15 riders for those two squads. So to have seven, eight, eight, and that gives two or three, uh, I suppose, substitute for injury sickness, which always occurs. You know, like I, I think that with someone like Michael Freeberg, it's an interesting one. Um, that's, it's a late signing for me, but he was available to everyone else before. And uh, I've known Michael for, um, you know, pretty well for a lot of years. And uh, once I could see that he was committed to have a crack again, I caught up with Oceanas and let him know that uh, I do have a spot for someone like that. Um, of his ability and his strength and if he was keen then I would you know I just said if you want to do it let's do it and uh, I thought I'd give him an opportunity uh, because I know that uh, he's an exceptionally uh, talented rider and I was surprised that other people hadn't already signed him uh, the fact that we're we're talking in May and signings normally you know occur at the end of last year it, it is strange they just said like that, that some of these people maybe consider him too old or don't know enough about him. But, um, you know, for me, it's just a, another great asset that we've got to the team. And I said, oh, look, it, it's hard to know at the time. Like, every year that you've got, if you've already got 15 or 16 guys you're keeping, you don't have a lot of spots anyway. So new talent coming through, do you push the old ones out and bring new talent through? Every year is different. If we get a few years, a few riders go to World Tour, then you have to replace them. But, uh, you know... I, as I said, I, I see each of these teams have you know, a couple of riders that are extremely uh, talented and, and I think if, as long as they believe that they're helping this uh, rider uh, develop to that next stepping stone, maybe we are their, their stepping stone initially, but maybe um, they'll go straight to World Tour from them to their teams at some stage. They must believe that. Like um, it, it happened for me, so why won't it happen for them? So where does the importance of the Australian racing sit within um, your plans as a team? I mean, obviously, it's been the centrepiece of your season for a long time, but you're going over to Europe, you've been over to America in the past. Um, where does Australia sit at the moment? Australia is extremely important to us. Um, I mean, we're Australians. We've got to, I believe we, we have to really support our own system. Uh, our riders need racing, and, and I feel that it's great racing. Uh, it allows us to you know, develop our riders both uh, physically but uh, probably tactically as well where they do get to maybe be in a controlling situation a bit more. When we go to the bigger races, we, we're not. We tend to follow and so therefore it's hard to teach some of the, uh, the different aspects of cycling when you're just on the limit all the time. 
the reason why we expand our roster uh, to both Asia and now Europe and, and races like that uh, is that we look to, to, to challenge our riders and uh, really bring them up maybe just to another level that's a bit closer to the level they need that if they are lucky enough to world tour and it is very difficult just to go straight out of Australia. You can be easily talented enough just to go straight from Australia to Europe, um, but there's probably a lot of skill sets you haven't actually learned. So uh, Australian cycling is extremely important. Um, we we I don't I don't know how long ago we've missed a round. Maybe it wasn't that long ago. We certainly don't miss many. Um, we've we've basically done every round for a long a lot of years, and and we have no reasons not to support that because for me it uh, it also is a great opportunity for me to make sure that I'm abreast of the up-and-coming talent that, that maybe I'll have in future years onto my team. What makes you different from other people in in your job, in your role? What makes you um, successful in what you do and and how you go about it? Oh, look, that's hard for me to answer, uh, to be honest, because I don't see myself any different to half the DSs here. I think that... You know, I probably don't know enough about how they operate, and they maybe don't know how I operate. Uh, I think that I'm lucky because um, I've got a lot of of the top talent, which makes things a lot easier. And and for some you know people, they probably think that makes my job really easy. Well, it probably does to some respect, but it didn't happen overnight. I was I was the worst team. I was the I was the manager of the worst team in Australia. I've been there, but. Uh, I had belief in uh, the systems that, that we've put on board and, and there's a lot of hard work uh, that's gone into it and, and I can see that uh, plenty of these uh, uh, other managers have got equally, if not more, uh, talent in these areas than myself. So, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's passion. You need passion and you, you need you need to be smart and you need to be respectful to, uh, you know, to the people around you. And oh, like I said, there's nothing special uh, about myself and about what we achieve it's just a, a good working group I reckon and what are your goals for the future uh, we'll do team goals and uh, how about some personal goals as well I mean maybe spend some more time with the family you always you always talk about how much time you're spending away from them yeah look that's always it's that's always really hard um, spending you feel like you got two families um, but I really only have one family and I need to spend more time there, and and money is the the hardest thing because we volunteer our time, and I'm volunteering my time, I suppose, away from my family. So if I could for, find more money to, I suppose, get more uh, staff to allow me to spend more time with my family, I would. But ultimately, you know, my wife has a very good understanding about and and feels the passion that I do, uh, and can see the purpose in what I do for others, and the the time that I do spend with my family, I just make sure that it is quality time goals it's uh look at the end of the day get more riders uh, to world tour what i want to see want to see richie port win the tour de france this year and uh, look do the right thing by our sponsors win as many races you know the, the list is endless um but but ultimately you know when i finish this interview to, uh, we start packing up we get on the plane and i go back and spend uh, some time with my family before i head off to the next adventure are there any myths you want to bust um whilst we're here public myths um because you you often look like a very cranky fellow, but you're not you're not cranky. You're genial. You're friendly. You've been very open to me in my time um, in the in short time in the Australian racing um, calendar. Ah, uh, look, I'm I can be very cranky, and my riders know that. Um, look, I'm I'm very tough and strict on them, and if they make a mistake, they certainly know. And if uh, someone was to walk past me at that time, they would think I'd 
he's probably not a very nice person, but I, I, I think that the people that, that know me well uh, and really understand why I do it, hopefully they understand that I do put a lot of time and energy into others and, uh, you know, like you've got to earn respect so ultimately if they don't respect me or like me maybe they don't know me or maybe I haven't done enough for them yet so uh ice away sports are you um on a massive budget what are we talking eight hundred thousand dollars a year you're paying all your riders to um to unrealistic contracts that no other teams can compete with look uh I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is but I will give you some figures we we we're on less than three hundred thousand this year and I pay just four riders a small wage uh, to allow them to support themselves and enjoy the dream. Fair enough. Thank you for your time, Andrew. No worries. Cheers, mate. Thank you.